Welcome back to another episode of Live Epic Youth Development and Leadership with your friend Daryl. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for your comments and feedback and for sharing it with your friends and family. I appreciate you so much. Now, this podcast, as you know, if unless you're, it's the first time that you're listening, is for persons who are involved in youth development work. Uh, you and you could be a person who is working for a nonprofit that is serving young people, a religious organization with uh, emphasis or ministry for young people, a parent or a guardian, an educator at at whatever level that you are serving young people in the schools, and you could also be uh, um, just a, a professional on a job. Maybe the company that you work for uh, is has a, a number of young people employed, and you are a manager there. And it is your responsibility to, you know, guide these young employees on the job. I hope to empower you, to inspire you, and to motivate you to continue to serve the young people in your care with excellence. So thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, being a part of of this journey on this podcast. I appreciate you so much. Uh, Today's episode, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. It's going to help you. It's a... a, hmm. It's a somber topic, but it's needed for us. You know, we have to have this discussion. So let's get into it. So this week is National Suicide Prevention Week in America. It occurs September the 5th to the 11th every year. And the aim of this week is to basically engage everyone about suicide prevention and the warning signs warning signs it's it's a a call to action really you know it's a call to an awareness about something that i think you will realize is a public health uh, crisis or emergency definitely it's not a a topic that you know is cherry and you know, fluffy to talk about. You know, it's not you know, it's not like a fun thing to to talk about. But when we're talking about youth development and leadership, we have to address these these topics because they impact directly on the potential of youth. And that's why today, today's episode, you know, I I I was juggling between the 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 name uh, suicide potential destroyer. Or you know, suicide the leadership destroyer. I'm not sure, but at the end of the day, what suicide does it 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 takes away a, a beautiful life that could give so much more to all of us. So today we're gonna look at suicide and you know just what's happening in this in this area of mental health. And I'm putting on my mental health first aider hat today and so let's 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 talk some more about this why why we're talking about this topic i want to share just some data with you that uh, i know will jar you and it's going to help you know put everything into perspective so according to the cdc and this is this is data from 2019 i'm sharing with you right now okay so in 2019, here, here's, what we, here's what the CDC told us. Suicide was the 10th leading cause of death overall in the United States, claiming the lives of over 47,500 persons. Okay? Now, now let's go into the age groups and, and 
pay attention to this. According to the CDC, right, suicide was the second leading cause of death among individuals between ages 10 to 34 and the fourth leading cause of death among individuals between the ages of 35 and 44. Okay? So there were nearly two and a half times as many suicides in the U.S. as there were homicides. So in 2019, there were 47,511 suicides. And in the same year, there were 19,141 homicides. So suicide has increased in the U.S. Uh, over the last two decades by approximately 40%. Okay, so this is something that is very, very significant in uh, in the American population. Okay, so they have a, a very comprehensive uh, research that they do called the National Youth Risk Behavior Survey. And in 2019, uh, this is some of the research that they, they published. 18% of young people surveyed were considering suicide. Okay, 15.7% made a plan for suicide and 8.9% actually attempted suicide, okay? So this is this is information that you know really highlights the critical nature of of suicide in in our world. In the Caribbean every 4 days someone dies by suicide in Trinidad and Tobago. And the top 3 countries for suicide are Guyana, Suriname, and Trinidad and Tobago, all right? We are third and in particular, research has shown that the East Indian male is particularly vulnerable uh, to suicide attempts. And I just want to put that in there. It's not something I'm going to dive in, in depth in this episode because there's just so many aspects of suicide to talk about. Because even in, in the American uh, context, you have the situation with respect to how income inequality affects uh, the whole aspect of suicide, as well as the ethnic and racial component, because research has shown that there are differences, you know, with white Americans, Hispanic Americans, Black Americans, etc., etc. And there's just so much to it. Uh, I don't want to overload uh, you or the episode with with too much at one time. Okay. So globally, according to the World Health Organization, suicide is a fourth leading cause of death in 15 to 19-year-olds. So this is globally across all countries uh, who are members of the WHO. Okay, and according to WHO, 77% of suicides occur in low- and middle-income countries. Now, I want you to know that that research was from June 2021. So everything I'm giving you here is basically update, um, you know, not something that is historical and decades old. This is current uh, realities that we are treating with. So suicide is something very serious that, you know, we need to address. All of us, we need to be aware of this. Okay, so let's talk about some definitions uh, because we're talking about uh, a topic of mental health and I want to be I want us to be clear on some basic definitions just for clarity, okay? So when we talk about suicide, we are talking about death as uh, caused by self-directed injury, 
right? So in other words, it's a behavior that death by a behavior that was intended to be fatal, okay? All right? That could be overdosing on um, pills or doing some other reckless activity with the intent of um, taking one's life. And so a suicide attempt, okay, that's a non-fatal, also self-directed, potentially injurious behavior. So it's basically when someone attempts suicide, but it didn't work out. So probably they drank uh, some poisonous liquid, they overdosed on some pills, they tried to wreck their car in a way to kill themselves, um, but it didn't. It did not. The death did not occur. They were saved probably by, you know, emergency services, or the the effects just didn't re- result in a, a fatality. Now, suicidal ideation that that talks about um, your thought process. Basically, you know, you're thinking about considering or planning a suicide. That's suicide ideation. So those are some definitions. I just wanna. Um, leave you with because it's important for you to be aware of them in your interactions with young people you may come across um, a situation where a young person admits to thinking about suicide or planning a suicide that's you know the ideation uh, phase Uh, you may come across young people who admit to you listen i did i did attempt suicide you know last night or last month or, or whatever um, obviously, they are alive, so that means it was a suicide attempt. So, understanding those meanings uh, are going to be important for you and for the young people you serve. So, we're talking about risk factors for suicide, and there are many now. I want you to understand that these are called factors for a reason. If you I see them exhibited, it doesn't mean automatically that the person is suicidal. They are like guideposts. Uh, they, are, they are things that you know are, ought to cause you to raise an uh, alarm to yourself to say, okay, I need to pay attention and, and take particular action, okay? So in general, what research has shown is if you have someone with a mental health disorder, like um, a mood disorder, schizophrenia, anxiety disorder, uh, other personality disorders, that's something then, you know, raises a sort of a flag for you as someone working with, with, with individuals in your space. Okay, you know, you need to be um, aware that this is a possible uh, risk factor for suicide, okay? In particular, people who are uh, alcohol um, and substance abuse um, have that, I don't want to call it a disorder, but they have that addiction challenge. Yeah. If you notice someone is, you know, consistently hopeless, you know, exhibiting, you know, they always have this deep sense of hopelessness, okay? Maybe they're impulsive on, or aggressive. They have a history of trauma or abuse. So someone who has been a rape victim, you know, uh, or uh, physically abused, like in the domestic violence, you know, and and when I say, they, they say the history, right? So it's like someone, you know, they have they have been through this several times. They have had a lot of, of challenges with abuse, a lot of experiences. Someone with major physical illness, maybe they have, 
you know, they have, whether it's a terminal illness or a chronic illness that is something that keeps repeating over and over and it could weigh on them because, you know, you're, you're, const- you're const- constantly sick, always having to go to the doctor. That could be a risk factor, okay? Obviously, uh, this one this one should ring out. If they have had a previous suicide attempt, yeah, definitely that's, that's someone who is likely, who was at risk of repeating, okay? If they have a family history of suicide, so their their father, their mother, their cousin, someone committed suicide, job or financial loss. Now, this one is significant in the context of what is going on in the world. I know in my home country, in Trinidad and Tobago, as well as in America here, we have a situation where a number of persons are challenged. Um, They have lost their jobs. They've lost their financial safety net. They're, They're lining up at the food banks to get food. And they're in a in a state of you know just really uh, desperation and loss. Okay, loss of relationships like divorce, maybe you know or great friendships or that have you know expired for want of a better word. Okay, those are things to be aware of. If they have easy access to lethal means like you know access to guns, um, um, prescription drugs, etc. If there are local clusters of suicide in the community, maybe a lack of social support or a sense of isolation. So persons who are really just isolated, they don't have um, a lot of social support. They don't have a social safety net. Okay. Um, lack of health care, maybe no health insurance to cover for mental health treatment, etc. Cultural and religious beliefs. Okay, so maybe... They have some belief that says that suicide is an, you know, a, a resolution, a way out, okay? And if they have exposure to others who may have died by suicide. So these are the risk factors uh, for persons who you need to be just conscious of when you come across this, this, these factors. You, you, you need to be thinking now whether you're a manager, you're a parent, you're an educator, you're a school guidance officer your sensors need to be kind of up saying, okay, I need to then now pay particular attention. Now, warning signs. If you come across someone, you know, who is is um, exhibiting these warning signs, you know, that it, it gets to a more critical stage, okay? Talking about wanting to die or kill themselves, looking for a way to kill themselves, you know, like, Googling how to kill yourself or how to do it eat quietly, etc. Talking about um, having no reason to live, feeling, you know, talking about being in, in unbearable pain and feeling trapped and about being a burden to others. If their alcohol and drug use has, you know, you know, increased in a significant way. Maybe they're acting, you know, anxious and they're behaving recklessly in, in in increasing ways. Maybe their their sleep patterns have changed. So they start sleeping too little or way too much. Okay? They start maybe withdrawing and isolating themselves and their mood swings have become extreme. These are warning signs. These are, you know, you you've moved from just okay, um looking at this situation here, these responses, these factors, and I'm seeing Warning signs now. So, 
you have risk factors and you have warning signs. And I want you to kind of marinate on that because those are critical for you in assisting young people. Francie Kripo Hobson from the University of Colorado, Denver, and James Estes from the Cherry Creek School District, they published a report, basically a research paper called Removing Barriers to Treatment. And in it, they talk about a number of things. And this, the centerpiece of their research was really looking at how referrals that they made uh, for young people at risk of suicide in terms of how many of them accepted the assistance and followed through with the programs. And, and they looked at how removing barriers like access to programs and financial burdens resulted in increased participation in um, these uh, preventative uh, mental health type uh, programs. Okay, One of the things that they talked about in the research, which, which is interesting, and made sense is that school. They said that school districts, you know, are critical partners in treating with um, this this issue of suicide. And they they made a statement which I agree. It is a major public health crisis. If you think about it, right uh, in this in the statistics that I talked about at the start of the show, basically you have a situation where one the suicides. Um, completed or successful suicides that ha, they are more than and more than double the number of homicides okay in America also they are the second leading cause of death in in the 10 to 34 year old group okay and then if you come to uh, the Caribbean okay you have every four days you have a suicide in Trinidad and Tobago you have the WHO saying it's it's uh, 77 percent occurring in low to middle income um, con- countries and they also said the WHO that it's the fourth leading cause of death in 15 to 19 year olds so we have a situation where this is definitely a public health crisis of course the focus is right now on the covid-19 pandemic but this is the silent the silent killer okay so from their their research i want to highlight a couple of things okay School mental health professionals, you know, your guidance officers, your school social workers, are very often the first to notice signs of mental health crises, okay? And they also said that schools, you know, are critical in assisting struggling youth and their families in accessing services and intervention. They talk about, in their research, about the fact that via the schools, you know, they, they make referrals to community mental health treatment and the participation rates in in those referrals generally range from 70 to 76%, which is really, really good. Obviously, everyone wants a 100% participation rate, but that's in utopia. Uh, but 70 to 76% participation rate, according to research, uh, that, is, that is impressive. So what we need to do in really addressing um, this, and this is from a policy perspective, is and this is you know outside of the podcast, but it's, it's something that I just still feel is necessary to see from a policy perspective. What we need to do is strengthen the resources at the school level to ensure that schools can do more to address these mental health challenges. Okay, 
So maybe if you're listening and you're in a policy um, position, that's, that's for you to advance on behalf of all of us, okay? So in their research, what they noticed that they had 99 youth aged 8 to 18 years old who identified as risk for suicide. They referred them for treatment, okay? And 93 of them completed the treatment program, which is really, really impressive. It's a small sample size, but, you know, it's really, really good. And it just underscores the need um, for providing, removing barriers and providing services, okay? Now, what they did, they matched the young people with licensed mental health professionals and they gave, they gave them up to 12 free counseling sessions, all right? And the time between sessions were on average three and a half days. So it's not too long to allow the momentum to be lost. So this is really good work by Francie Hobson and James Estes. Uh, you can check out the article, Removing Barriers to Treatment. So I want to share with you some tips and guidance based on where you may be positioned on the spectrum of assisting and interacting with young people so that you can be empowered to, you know, um, respond accordingly. So for parents and guardians, it's important for you to strengthen your bonds with your children. So they should feel confident and um, what's the word? Open and comfortable enough to talk to you when they're feeling like stressed and if they even thought about giving up in life and feeling hopeless, they should be able to talk to you about that because they know you're not going to judge them and make them feel worse about it with guilt talk. And, you know, this is not the time... You know, the... <laughs> This is not, you know, you don't respond and say, um, you know, what are you feeling hopeless for? You know, you, you have it better than X, Y, and Z. You know, this is a, a time we have to adjust our language and how we respond when persons express feeling, you know, stressed out about certain things. Okay, early intervention is important. So pay, pay uh, particular attention to life events which have emotional tool like exams, death in the family, economic changes in the family, and take early intervention, you know. You know, if you see um, those stressful moments, check in, hey, how are you managing with these, the stress of these exams, etc.? Uh, or with your spouse or parent who pass, you know, ask them how they are feeling about this, you know, event. You know, really ask probing questions and Get the help in terms of the early intervention. Yeah, say, well, let's go and do a group session together. You could do an individual session. We could do a group session. But take early intervention. Take suicide threats seriously. So if they make a threat, you know, don't laugh it off or ignore it. You know, take it seriously, all right? And enroll children in mental health therapy at an early age. Make it, make it normal, like, you know, going for a dental checkup where, you know... It's normal to go and just chat to the therapist uh, just to, you know, discuss whatever the child may be uh, going through at a point in time. Uh, and make it normal. Let's, let's, let's normalize going to a therapist, like going to a dentist or, you know, your general practitioner. 
So um, faith-based organizations, I know I have, as I, as, as I told you in previous ep- episodes, I worked in, in that space for a number of years. So I can tell you that there is a, um, a special uh, ability with the FBO that is underutilized and needs to be leveraged, okay? So one of them is we need to engage mental health professionals in the community in a more direct manner. So if you're listening and you are in that space, you are a minister of religion, engage in your, your community. There are persons who are trained in mental health. Get them around a table and say, you know, let's create a policy, let's create a, a plan, a framework, an approach, a program that could treat with mental health. Like a treat with um, members of the community who may be experiencing crises, as well as persons from our, you know, our buffer zone, those who are in our area um, of, that we serve as a, a faith-based organization. All right. Do not underestimate the value of social bonding activities. You know the activities that you, uh, faith-based organizations engage in. You know, don't just see it as you know a men's lime or, or a youth lime or whatever, actually realize that these things are important for mental health for your, you know, your parishioners, your congregation, your, your group, whatever you call yourself. And understand that it's important to keep it going as much as possible. Keep it healthy, keep it going. Now, finally, introduce the conversation and resources for mental health it at every possible uh, opportunity, but especially in your camps and in your small groups. You want to leverage the intimacy of those events and use that to create you know, referrals for mental health support. I know in my time for, for running and organizing youth camps that those are great opportunities. Of, unfortunately, I was not you know, knowledgeable at the time or aware of, at the time uh, about using it in this scenario, so you have the advantage now. But at, at those events, there's just such a great openness and willingness to share. So leverage that and use that opportunity to to encourage persons to you know engage in mental health support. So train your counselors uh, and probably peer support persons on mental health um development and support and encourage them to to you know refer persons for support and you could have at the camp you know your mental health professionals in an area you know nice and respectable where young persons can go during the camp and get support and then after the camp you know the support could continue all right and yes the fbos should sponsor this okay yeah the fbo should sponsor this now, for the employer, you want to foster a culture that makes it okay for teammates to share challenges that impact their ability to do their work, okay? Because uh, in the workspace, people tend to be afraid to do that because of how it's going to affect probably their performance appraisal, um, their reputation on the job, uh, opportunities for advancement, etc. But you want to foster a culture that says, hey, it's okay to share things like that, that, you know, uh, it's not going to ne- negatively impact on your career and your, our impression of you. 
So have a plan as well for responding to critical situations like suicide attempts by a staff member or um, other mental health crises, okay? Ensure that your EAP services are, you know, uh, well-oiled, com- that it's communicated, it's easy to reach, and that persons know, listen, these are the services you can uh, access. And, well, I'm assuming you have an EAP program, an employment assistance program, but as an employer, you need to have that and to ensure that your EAP includes mental health support for your employees, Okay. I don't know if you want to do a reward incentive program, but make it, incentivize it as much as practical to encourage persons to get mental health support. Maybe you could, uh, you could have the CEO or the one of the senior managers, you know, engage in, in mental health support and talk about the experience and try to normalize it you know, as much as possible. Talk about it at your tongue holes, um, just, you know, just create that space where it's okay to access these services. Okay, so some of you may be in a situation where you're wondering what to do uh, if you encounter someone who is suicidal uh, or who is likely based on what we've talked about. They seem like they're trending that way, okay, or they're, they're leaning to that, to that. Okay, so you have basically like two options. I won't say just two options, but this is the two broad approaches. Well, one, if you think they are at risk, you can call your local suicide hotline. And I'm going to give you some numbers. If you believe they're an imminent risk of committing suicide, you call the emergency services right away. So in America, you call 911. In Trinidad and Tobago, you call 999-555. All right, you you um, call the emergency services right away so that they could respond and and hopefully it works out well for the individual, all right? But outside of that, you can, assuming you have the ability uh, and the time, you should ideally not leave the person alone, okay? You you see this person is at risk of suicide. Uh, they... they you know, they probably talked about having a plan or they told you they made just made an attempt. You know, really you shouldn't leave the person alone, okay? Stay by their side until you could reach the hotline or the emergency services and they, the professionals, will guide you as to what to do next, okay? Now, um, this is not the time to re- introduce any guilt language, okay? So about, you know... Why why do that? And you're going to go to hell and all these different things. This is just time for you to be there as a support. All right? So um, you could ask them if there's someone that they would like for you to call, a close family, a friend who they would want to be there. And if they give you that person's name and number, you call them and you ask them to um, come, come to the location. All right? Um, so that they have that extra support. So let me give you some numbers, okay? So the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, their number is 800-273-8255. That's 800-8273-8255. 
And if you're in New York City, you can text WELL to 65173 or call 188-NYC-WELL. Okay, so if you're in Trinidad and Tobago, you can call Lifeline at 868-800-5588 or 868-231-2824 or 868-220-3636. If you're in Barbados, you can call 246-429-9999. And if you're in Jamaica, you can call 888-639-5433. I hope that this episode was beneficial to you and that it gave you some perspective on addressing this public health crisis, suicide. For me, the what really, in, in reflecting on this episode, what stood out to me would have been those statistics when I realized for the first time that suicide is a major public health crisis. Yeah, because... You're telling me that suicide is the second leading cause of death in individuals between 10 and 34 in the United States? Wow. And the fourth leading cause of death in 15 to 19 year olds globally? Yeah, that that is definitely a public health crisis. This is something that we need to raise the red flag and say we need help. Yeah, things are not looking good. So, this is where we're at, but each one of us where we are can take a stand, can intervene, can assist, because there's at least one person who looks to us for inspiration and hope, and that person may be someone who has felt like they're at the end of their rope, and you could be that person to you know, help them not make a fatal decision. So I hope whatever um, stood out to you in this episode, it helps you in supporting someone who may be feeling hopeless. Thank you so much for listening. You can keep in contact with me on social media, on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. It's Daryl Butkin, that's the handle. And on Facebook, Daryl D. Butkin. I want to ask you, though, what are you doing? What have your organ- has your organization done? Um, what has been your experience with suicide in your organization and is there a plan to treat with it? Let me know. I'd love to hear more about that, okay? Okay, so on the next episode, I'm dropping next week, I'm going to talk about developing resiliency in young people and I, I want to tie that in um, to a part of the conversation of the preparation for leadership but resiliency is going to be like a separate topic by itself, a separate episode. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Live epic. Live epic.